Welcome everyone to another episode of What's Good with Ben V. Today we're going to talk breathing with Paul Gagné. Paul's a posturologist for more than three decades now. Uh, Paul's a soma therapist. He's also the head of strength and conditioning and rehab for Octagon Sports Agency for more than two decades working with all their NHL stars. He's got multiple world champions that he's coached and rehabbed. And uh, he has a book out now with another friend and another great strength coach. The name of the book is The Bulkless Training System. It's a system of training for power, how women athletes can get faster and stronger without getting bulkier. It's a really good read. And today, like I said, we're going to talk breathing because for more than two decades, Paul and I have been speaking about the benefits of specific breathing techniques with athletes and both rehab and performance. And Paul has been using it in practice. He has different systems that he's been using and pretty much anything at his disposal. And I've learned so much from him. And today, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about some breathing and research that he's been doing and uh, a lot of results that he's gotten with his athletes using specific breathing techniques uh, relative to their sports performance. Welcome to the show, Paul. Thanks for joining us, buddy. Thank you, my friend. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, thanks, man. So let's dive right into it. You know, I know that I think the first time we spoke about it was probably maybe when we went to the DR to work. Um, and that was more than 10 years ago before it became a hot topic in sports performance. You had already been looking into, I remember you showed me some Gong techniques and you had been already looking into the benefits of specifically diaphragmatic breathing and how you can improve VO2 max, et cetera. So we can start right there and kind of talk about your evolution. Well, when we started to work with Dr. Guy Voyer in 1995, uh, give very famous osteopath, but also he invented the, the techniques of soma training that we we had the chance to to co-host for a couple of years in New York City. And then the big part is the diaphragm. A lot of the breathing techniques out there they only talk about the movement of the breath, but there is an apparatus and it's called the diaphragm. And it's I, almost ninety five percent of the breathing will come from these muscles and there's many 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 diaphragm and this is one this is one diaphragm that i always work with this is charlie my my buddy charlie the charlie cat, king of the king of all cats look at that look at that beauty he's like a tiger from the what a face yeah he's a big boy like 20 pounds but uh what we did them they have a good lung capacity and by doing all the myofascial stretching of the diaphragm and mainly reinforcement strengthening a lot of different exercise then i came up after with other movements that will combine the breathing but what we found is that by doing all these exercises, your backpipe you felt like you had you were in scotland and you're able to really push more and also have a better exchange of oxygen with co2 that liberates uh, the molecule of oxygen through the, the hemoglobin and that's all the mechanic in the last i would say 15 years i've been implementing a lot of different movements now i even named it airflow restriction because when you block certain part of your diaphragm or even your nose or your mouth and you're creating this kind of hypoventilation or hyper 
you're creating a very big adaptation, uh, mainly at the metabol reflex. See, uh, as you, if you're, we, remember Ben, many years ago, we were in Montreal and they made us run, Daniel Mercier, the, the physiologist, made us run 50 seconds on. We had to take 50 seconds off and then rerun. I was with you and Yves here. And uh, we almost died the second time. And it's not really our legs. Yes, our legs shut down, but it was the metabol reflex. Basically, when the brain perceives that the diaphragm or the respiratory system is in distress, it cuts down all this blood supply uh, to the working limbs. In our case, we're our legs and we, we seized up. And by doing these exercises with the diaphragm, transversus abdominis, but mainly hypoventilation and hyper, you, you delay the onset of the metabol reflex. Then you're able to have a longer, at high, high intensity, more endurance. And this is what... Yes, for our listeners... For our listeners, Paul, just a little, to take a little back step, when we talk about the diaphragm, in case that you don't know biomechanically, you just imagine a corset from the bottom of your sternum to your, the, the below your belly button, like a corset that has a, a, a pillar, a dome, and a base to it. And it's pretty much responsible in every it's 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 associated in every movement that we do biomechanically, including when we're not moving and breathing, just sleeping. Correct. So yep. it's important for the listeners to know biomechanically the importance of that that muscle uh, structure. Also, the organs are all uh, attached to it. If you talk about the biggest ligament in the body, it's the uh, the the, uh, my, the pericardic fascia, it's like pericardic fascia. It's a big, big ligament that holds your heart. The second one of the biggest one too is the freno. Uh, uh, it's also the, the freno uh, ligament, hepatic ligament. That's for your liver. And uh, freno, uh, freno means from diaphragm, phrenic nerve that, that activates it. You got the, and that's that's why your organs are not floating around and nothing. They're all attached to ligament, but through attachment to the diaphragm. When you work your diaphragm, you're massaging your internal organs at the same time, affecting your lungs, affecting your heart, and affecting your liver. We've seen um, together. We had a, a, a remember a couple of years ago in Phoenix, there was a a, a a football player, NFL football player, who had heart palpitation. And he had problem. They wanted to put him on meds. And Guy Voye came in, realigned his diaphragm, doing exercise. And now, is is because his heart was compressed by the diaphragm. He had a broken rib. They they didn't fix it properly. He was a one of the top linebacker in the NFL. And that poor guy was on the verge to get like Zoloft, or they were going to give him anti-anxiety medication because he had. They thought it was a mental, but it was a structural. That's why it's so important. The diaphragm could be, in my opinion one of the most important muscle because of the link and the ramification from your organ and from your body. It's like the mm -hmm. tensegrity system. It's like all guard wire. But when you're doing these breathing techniques out there, if you don't, you don't pre, you don't prep your diaphragm in a proper way, you will be only moving certain part of the air breathing in and out in certain area only. And that's, I mean, it's correct, but you will not maximize that kind of uh, backpipe effect that we're looking for. Like that's why singers, good singer, they don't have throat problem. They, they they're singing through their diaphragm. And I've worked with a lot of singers, opera, 
and during these exercises, and they significantly improved very quickly. And Paul, um, that let's touch a little bit because you talked about the mechanics now and the importance of people to athletes to learn how to use their diaphragm before they dive into certain specific breathing techniques. Yeah. But one thing that pops into mind that you and I are uh, we we've been learning as much about in the last twenty five years is posture and the time spent in front of the computer. Explain a little bit how that affects the function of your diaphragm, therefore affecting your ability to breathe properly. But just sitting down, as we know, there's the diaphragm that we know, it's mainly we're talking about the thoracic diaphragm, but we have the, the pelvis diaphragm, and that's all the internal organ with the pelvic floor. That's a diaphragm, and you got the cervical diaphragm. I mean, we have plenty, we have many diaphragm in the body. When you're sitting down, you're cutting down gravity, on your pelvic diaphragm affecting the thoracic diaphragm and affecting your, your cervical sitting down is not a very it's not a natural position for humans we used to sit down on the floor and our knees are higher or squatting down squatting right. uh, all the time that was like if you look at babies or kids they spend hours and hours playing with their little trucks or cars or talking to each other also many i was in china in 219 and i mean if you don't know how to squat deep, you can't go to the bathroom. There's no toilet seat in most places. They even put bars in front for tourists to hold on because they're going to fall down into certain stuff that you don't want to fall down. But it's the main, the mechanic of the body is to squat deep. That's what it, what it does when you're down very low, squat like you were a catcher, uh, and then you're always simulating your, your, your pelvic diaphragm. And that's what creates a good base of support. Then your, your thoracic... Uh, diaphragm is, is well it's like a lego a lego but when you're doing movement on the diaphragm plus a com combination with aldoa those are the technique to decoap the vertebrae uncoupling them that will modify your posture plus as a posturologist we all know like we work on the muscle of your eyes activating the skin of the foot because we we manage the postural system through the brain but if you're always slouching down and looking at a camera, then sitting down, your diaphragm, you can't breathe properly. You're going to jam it up. It's like guys going into the gym and doing these short curls all the time, internal range. They walk like they have a case of beer under, but ask them to throw a ball. They're going to throw out the long end of their bicep. And that's mm -hmm. the, the problem with the posture is always first. Uh, we have in our slides that when I give a presentation, there is it's an iceberg. And... At the top is behavior and results, but at the bottom, under the water, the first thing is posture. If your posture mm -hmm. is better, the whole system will get better. Your emotional system is going to get better. Your your the whole and the thought process, and then your behavior, and then the results will be changed. But if you're crooked, it's not consciously. That's a problem with Paul. Oh, Paul told me to stand straight. You can't. As soon as you're going to do a task of either working or you'll be concentrating, you will forget. Because it's a program. That's right. why in French, we call that postural reprogrammation through the muscle of your eyes, skin of the feet, diaphragm movement, aldoa, anything that's very deep into the body. You want to go deep down into the spine to create that correction that will last when you're busy. And that's, that's the key on that. And that's a very good yep. question because I've seen a lot of people trying these breathing techniques, even during the course with Guy Voyer. I've seen guys getting uh, iatal hernia doing but they were all like crunched up 
they forced too much with their diaphragm that was already very tense. Restricted. And yeah. some, they almost had like panic attack because of the vagus nerve that originate to the cerebral trunk, goes down and it joins into your, your solar plexus. And then when you're all crunched up emotionally, when you start to open that with breathing and exercise, people started to cry. Or they, they you laugh hard because that's how you stimulate your vagus nerve. The vagus nerve, yeah. It's interesting because I had that conversation with a strength coach in hockey and we he was talking about different breathing techniques that they were trying to use for the guys. And my question to him was, do, do you guys address the neuromechanics first? As you say, the posture first, because the biggest thing that I'm seeing is a lot of these guys, especially in contact sports that have been hit or by virtue of their position in hockey or whatever the sport, and they don't address the posture, they have a constant autonomic fight or flight response that they're dealing with. And the mechanics haven't been addressed. They're addressing how to manage that autonomic response, if that makes any sense. Oh, it makes sense. And also in hockey, what do you do between shifts? You sit down, and that's the right. worst thing. They did a research many, many years ago uh, I think it was the LA Kings. They put like these old Monarch Park. It was in preseason because in preseason, you only change on uh, when the referee uh, whistles. You don't change on the fly. And they had put little little slants to put your skates in. And guys, instead of sitting down on, on the bench, were pedaling on a small Monarch bark, bike. And they, they were able to change because the ref whistles. And then you dismount. It took, takes 10 seconds. But in a game, you can't do that. And they had significantly less injuries during that training camp than when you were sitting down. It's normal. If you sit down for two, three minutes, you're shutting down and then you're talking and you're thinking about what happened, either good or bad. Sometimes it's bad because the coach going to give you a little hell. And you hear a lot of hockey's kind of very high, strong temperament. And then when you get up, the coach taps you. Okay, it's your turn to get on. You have, You can't. Oh, wait, I'm going to warm up a bit. No, you can't. You go into the action, and that's the danger. This is where I tell my players, when you can, sit at the edge of the bench. Keep the tension a bit on your legs always, if, especially if you're a regular player. You know about when you're going to come up. And then do breathing techniques, like breathing through the nose, exhale mouth, pulling your abdominals in and out. Like as you breathe in, stomach goes out. As you breathe out, creating that wave, that creates that exchange. And they told me, they're significantly less tired and they feel more focused in the game. It's normal. Stimulating the vagus nerve, good oxygen, CO2 exchange, and they're still irrigating all the, the, the working uh, muscle that, and also delaying a bit of the metabolic reflex. That's very important. Yeah, so, so what you're saying is there's specific techniques and protocols that you want to incorporate pre-game, pre-practice, post-game, post-practice, and maybe as recovery, right? <clears throat> because the effects are different. Can you talk a little bit more about that? But when you <laughs> activate, basically, uh, even if you could work on nostrils, uh, research have shown if you block the right nostril and you breathe a lot with the left, it will create a parasympathetic activation. Then you're, you're going to feel more calm. Then it's better to do that at night. That's why in prayanama, you got the, act, uh, like, alternating nostril breathing that's very good to calm down but if you need to activate yourself you'll do a lot more short it's called the fire breath you'll go like a lot more pumping hyperventilation when you do hypoventilation exhaling long 
holding your breath. An example as the box breathing the Navy SEALs do. They breathe in those for four seconds. They hold their breath for four. They breathe out for four and they hold their breath. And they walk like this also. It's very good to take a walk. That really gets into the flow state. And when you check with the scanner, if you have access to it, you will be probably in alpha motor zone and alpha brain waves. And what happened, that's in between 11 and 13 hertz. That You feel that. You feel almost the runner's high within five, six minutes of walking with the box. And I've used that technique many times with my athletes to the point now they even do 10 seconds, hold 10, inhale 10, hold 10, exhale 10, and hold 10. And they walk like this. And they're getting faster and faster. What they found is that First of all, their exchange, their, their tolerance of CO2 is high because CO2 really is a bronchodilator and a vasodilator. Also, the pressure of CO2, it's the only way almost to liberate the molecule of oxygen that's held back uh, by the hemoglobin. See, basically, when you breathe in, it goes to your lungs, your alveoli. They're like little sacs. They look like little grapes. Then on that, there's there's hemoglobin. Every 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 molecule of hemoglobin attach four molecules of oxygen but they're very stingy they don't want to they want to keep it for themselves but you need it for your legs or upper body whatever you're doing then the only way to do it one of the the more secure way and safest and fastest is to hold your breath or exhale fully increasing the pressure of co2 that forces the hemoglobin to liberate oxygen and then because it's a buffer it's always uh, acidobasic when you breathe in, oxygen is more uh, is more uh, uh, activating more of the uh, all, almost limiting the acidity and CO2 is more acid. And then when you bring it liberating like this, you have a good balance in your pH also of your blood. And that's the yeah. key. That's why when you, <clears throat> you go to sleep, you will not do mm. the high breath. You'll do more heart coherence breathing. breathing. Breathe in four nose all the time. Exhale, you could exhale mouth, but purse lips, six seconds. Exhaling longer will put you more into parasympathetic, more relaxing before bedtime. Inhaling longer and harder will activate more your sympathetic system. You could combine it with tapping on the thymus. You could tap. There's many or activation of different uh, uh, meridian points at the same time. And that helps, like an example, there's a meridian point right here for your lung. If you really press hard and do these very short breath through your nose, you will see that when you exhale fully, you'll be able to hold your breath longer. Same thing mm. as the uh, annular. If you press the annular, there's another meridian point for the lungs. And you practice that. I've worked with a lot of patients with COVID, and we had very, very good results with that, especially if we're able to catch them before the onset. Because usually with COVID, it's not tomorrow that you start to have a respiratory problem. It's mm -hmm. a couple of days later on. If you catch it, if the guy, you don't feel good, you're suspecting. Anyone that has a cold today, suspect you may have COVID anyway. Don't take a chance. Right away, do breathing techniques. Uh, J.K. Rollins was one of the first one, the author of uh, Harry Potter. It happened like she was one of the first, like... Uh, not star, but someone that people know in March mm -hmm. 2020 that got that got COVID, and uh, it happened that her doctor was from India. He's from England, but he's and he right away gave her breathing technique. Uh, 
Como from uh, like uh, the guy from CNN. Also the same thing. Many I've worked with a lot of athletes. Right away we got them throwing different type of breeding, and it significantly reduced the the need of being uh, hospitalized to because you 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 reverse it quickly. Again, don't get me wrong; it's not a cure, but we've seen in many research that could be a very good tool if you suspect. But don't take a chance. Even if you have a common cold, do it right at the onset. You feel like a little sore throat, start to do more breathing and you'll see it should significantly reduce the symptoms or the duration of your uh, symptoms. That's really interesting. And you just uh, you touched on something. Like you said, in the evening, you want to do more heart coherence breathing. And exactly. I think that in the literature and in the uh, publications that are out there now, uh, McEwen's book, I think it's called Oxygen Advantage, and James uh, yeah, Nestor's yeah. book, it's yeah. called Breathe Breath. They don't talk much about the coherence between the heart and the breath. And if you could just touch a little bit about that, because... We've been looking at that Heart Math Institute for a long time, yeah. and it surprises people when I tell them about the correlation between the two. But it, it affects your HRV. <laughs> Heart rate variability is probably one of the most uh, important data for heart disease and also mental how you feel. As an example, uh, they, they've seen people without being diagnosed with any virus and suddenly like i wear whoop it's a little very little thing and i know when i need rest because my whoop will tell me my hrv is is really low and i right. it matches my recovery uh, i don't really drink alcohol but if i have one or two glass of wine my hrv in the morning is lower my night i it detects i'm not going into rem or deep sleep as much because of mm -hmm. alcohol or stress if I take CBD with very low THC, it's the opposite. I get better sleep, more deep, and my recovery is higher and my HRV is higher. When I'm in the countryside, when I'm at the beach, my HRV is very high. When I play with my big cats, I have two, with my son and my wife, or I'm pretty sure I would test my HRV after just speaking to you because I haven't seen you for a long time live, then I'm pretty sure. See, that's the link in between the brain and the heart. Actually, HeartMath, they did some testing. They took like two pictures, a picture of a mother that's loving her baby. And mm -hmm. they, they, they opened the envelope and they had a sensors on the eyes, on the heart and on the brain. What sensed the emotion first was the heart. Second, the brain and third, the eyes. Same thing with something I think was like, like an accident or something that was really sad. Same thing. That's why it's very important because the heart is not really an organ. You, we've never seen anyone with a heart cancer. And it should be. The blood circulates there. Every blood, every all blood in our body goes through that. And you never heard about someone who had heart cancer. It's basically mm -hmm. a battery that's charged. That's why we measure it with uh, uh, electrocardiogram. It's an elect, like the brain. We don't measure the brain with anything else than waves. The heart and the brain are communicating by waves and if you that's what is heart coherence you're in coherence when you're very calm as an example like some athletes like george st pierre has the ability although in action to stay very calm that's why he was able in certain matches although he was kind of in trouble to go because he was in that calm state to go to his brain to say okay this is what we practice 
in a fraction of a second when the guy's on top of me i'm in trouble okay here's what i do if he had panicked probably would have done something or he would have lost same thing in hockey mm -hmm. same thing in many sports in our life when you're in the flow state usually alpha zone uh alpha brainwave you're in that heart coherence some days everything floats uh when you were playing baseball when we train together some like the desmotech system we have the flywheels you have to be careful because it's really high eccentric very fast you need to pay attention and when you flow when you do breathing before and you concentrate during your movement and you see it on the computer your power output is better your timing is better your coordination is better and this is where playing like really working on heart coherence is very important that's why you could do i we do heart coherence breathing while we walk i breathe in four steps i excel six steps i do that or i'll mix it with that box depending what i need the box walking i call that but at night i tell you if you have a hard time to, to sleep do 10-15 minutes before bedtime and you will see sometimes you won't even be finishing you'll get into it's very a lot of yogis they didn't know the name but they always ask their students to do five six seven minutes of in in inhale slowly exhale longer before they go into that meditative state it brings in mm -hmm. the tether uh also zone that's interesting i think um you know, the takeaway for the audience is that relative to the heart, heart coherence breathing is that there's a direct connection between what your mental state is and the efficiency of your breathing. And there's a whole slew of health benefits associated with having a higher HRV. And that's, that's another podcast for sure. But what I wanted to ask you was like most of my listeners and are, are not professional athletes. If you had one protocol for them to do it would it sounds like it would be in the evening what would it look like well basically like you you pick us uh, see the, the thing with the, the biggest thing that affects north american now and i think everywhere in the world is sleeping patterns we lost our uh, our circadian rhythm for thousands of years we used to go to bed at night with the with the light like i'm from montreal it's kind of dark in the winter but obviously we were more active in the summer and less active in the winter. We knew that. That's why we. I have six sisters. We had a lot of kids at home. My mom had 11 kids at one point, and they didn't have TV, and they went to bed early in the winter. And I'm born in the summer. Tells you a bit. But And it was cold. But what happened is that by doing artificial lighting, like it's really, really bad for you because you're, you're messing up with your circadian rhythm, and the melatonin cannot secrete because it always thinks it's daylight. Then hmm. when you go just before bedtime, take downtime. After dinner, like when you were kids, either take a nice bath. I have my sauna in my backyard. I go in the sauna two hours after dinner. I relax in it for half an hour. I take a nice shower, and then I'll do 15 minutes of heart coherence. I sit, close my eyes, and I breathe in those only through the nose for seconds, and I exhale through my nose because nose breathing is more beneficial and mm -hmm. for six seconds, 10, 15 minutes. And then I know if I check my, my whoop or I check my monitor already, my heart rate is very low and my pulse is good because the wavelength of your heart, that's why the Chinese, they take the Chinese pulse. It's not really, 
to have a low heart rate is to have a low heart rate but a very strong pulse like a boom hmm. it means that you're 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 vigorous you're very very alive you're very healthy a very shallow and weak pulse could could really lead to really you might be really sick or a very fast very shallow like without that wave that that too could to determine most people been since the 1930s or post war we double our breathing rate that we used to. Studies have shown wow. in the late 1920s and 30s, we used to take in between six and eight breaths a minute. Now it's up to 16, maybe 20 in certain individuals. We overbreed all the time because we're mouth breeders. You can't. Mm -hmm. The mouth is made to eat and talk. That's why we have mm -hmm. two nostrils, two holes and one hole. And we have all the sinuses, the hair. We have a lot of, there's 26 actions of beneficial of uh, I'll send it to you you could put it on the website all what it does when you do nose breathing to the point like at night I use surgical tape on my mouth to only breathe through the nose and your your heart your, your breathing rate the lower it gets the more deep sleep you get and you see it on your app deep sleep and and then you're secreting more growth hormone and you feel rested and that's where it's not, I don't sleep that much, maybe six hours, but very deep. When you, you go in for six, some people, oh, I'm in bed nine hours, but you don't sleep. Your, your, your hamster is moving or you call that the monkey brain. That's worse. Go out or do something. Or if you have a problem with yeah. sleeping after dinner, just go take a little walk and do that, uh, that art coherence breathing. Take four steps, breathe in nose, six steps, exhale through the nose if you can, if not purse lips mm -hmm. gently, just concentrate on that for 10, 15 minutes and you will see that the fact that you're moving, you'll come back home and you'll feel like, wow, I feel so good. And you'll be, and you'll be also a preparation to go to bed like when we were a baby. When you were a kid, you had dinner, mommy or daddy put you in the bathtub and then you had a little bedside story. You had that downtime. We knew that not excite the kid before. Like like your kid, Milo, you can't play with him at 9 o'clock if he's going to go to bed at 9.15. You will not want to go. You you're, you have to, on, on your own, okay, he knows it, but it's the parents to do that. We forget about it. We don't close the computer. Right. The blue light is very bad for your eyes. That's why I wear these yellow glasses like for to block the blue light. And I try not to use my computer or phone at least two hours before bedtime to create that natural circadian rhythm. And like in the summer, take a lot of sunlight in your eyes. If you can, when you wake up in the morning, go outside, open your eyes. Like I get up around 5.15 and the sun rises soon. Like it's the, today actually, it's the, it's the longest day of, uh, of the year. And you open your right. eyes and you take the sunlight and you get a lot of reset right away to your circadian rhythm and you feel way better you feel like wow yeah it's like i had i have a boost of energy combine it with in the morning you could do these quick breathing very like fast breath to activate your body Hyper. and that's really mm -hmm. yeah you go you breathe more than you exhale but only through the nose it's called fire breath like if you look at they're all based most of the techniques come from pranayama from the from the indian uh, in Qigong and Tai Chi too, the Chinese also had these these types. That's why in karate or in Kung Fu, you hear like all these movements. When you go, 
you're contracting your your with your vagus nerve, but also your diaphragm and your transversus, mainly your transversus abdominis when you exhale and your abs are contracting with your intercostal. And when you very quick, you inhale quick, it's your diaphragm. Then you, and then you're creating yeah. that pump. Bruce Lee was doing that when we were kids. Remember the yeah. movies when, yeah, when, yeah. yeah we, we were seeing that and he was, those exactly were the breathing techniques that he was doing, you know, of more than 40 years ago. But oh, I yeah. think it's a, it, I think it's a great way, a great tip and a great way to close out the podcast. And, you know, I will definitely come back and talk about HRV and talk about the circadian rhythm. I, I want to close it out because you and a dear friend of ours wrote a book and I want you to tell the audience about it. Um, where can they find it? The book but, is called Get Stronger, Not, not bigger. bigger. Yeah, that's basically a, a book like Kim taught. Uh, I'm, I'm not a good writer. I talk better than I write. And I, I've been collaborating with Kim for almost 30 years now. And he's been my ghost writer. All the articles on BFS and uh, Bigger, Faster, Stronger, he wrote them for me. And everything on my website, PG-Performance. That's where you could get the book. And it's going to be soon on Amazon. But that's basically... Uh, a book on athleticism. I have all my Olympic athletes in it, and Kim too. She's a very, very high-level track athlete, Jordan, and also a uh, very, very good uh, softball player, one in the top in, in her division. And you could still look good and be an athlete if you know how to train. And rarely, I, I don't know if you had that, but I've never seen a woman come to me and, Paul, I want big arms, or I want big, very rarely, they all want to look fit. But they, they're yeah. afraid, a lot of, especially young women, they're afraid of training. And that's the book is for that. Kim goes into the science. Kim is really good in the, the game of that called the Iron Game, talking about Olympic weightlifting and the story and how you could incorporate these very easy. There's a lot of workouts for home because when we wrote it, it was during the pandemic and we changed a lot of chapters. There's a lot of illustrations. Very fun. It's a good, it's 180 page and it's, there's a lot of fun, but a lot of practical tips. It's going to be the first. We're writing another one on elastic strength. It's coming up soon and on hamstring uh, training. But this is going to be very interesting. He had a very brilliant idea. Of uh, I was very lucky and I was very fortunate to collaborate with him for this one to help young women achieve the level of athleticism of what we've done over the years with, with our athletes. And that, That's very, exciting, Paul. Yeah. It's going to be fun. Get, get Stronger, Not Bigger, Paul yeah. Gagné, Kim Gloss, and that's PG Perform. What's the website again? Yeah, PG, pg-performance.com. I'll send you the link because oh. I don't know why. Sometimes you get it to a Volkswagen uh, garage, but I don't know. That guy must be my name because Paul Gagné, but PG. <laughs> I'll send you the link. It seems like if you don't do a dot or – anyway, that's uh, – Yeah, we'll, we'll get it. Everything we'll, have it on Am we'll have it on Amazon anyway, uh, I think at the end of, of next week too all right my friend well thanks a lot man this has been great um once again paul gagne the book is called get stronger not bigger by paul gagne and kim goss paul thanks we'll definitely get you on again there's a host of subjects we can talk about man thanks right, again thank you, buddy. Man. thank you all man. right it's always good all to right. see you live my friend Thanks again, friends, for listening to another episode of What's Good with Ben V. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your friends, share it on your social media, 
We look forward to you sitting back and enjoying future episodes where we look behind the curtain and learn a little something about an athlete or an entertainer that you didn't know.